If today is the first day you've bought chocolate this year, which is remarkable, by the way, what are you buying that that's like your go-to snack for for something you you would go to eat just to give you a boost? I don't I don't have a go-to. This is the big trick: is you buy a couple of bags right, of no, everything, no, right. so, and then every snack is different. Okay, so right, give me a give me a sample then. Well, so I like I like me different kinds of crisps. I especially like them uh, the bacon rashers. Oh, really? You gotta get some some good bacon flavor crisps. But also, I like all sorts of peanuts, especially uh, like chili coated peanuts. Interesting. They're, they're golden. They're so good. Uh, like all them British Indian snacks, the colonialism snacks, your Bombay <laughs> mixes and your Balti mixes. So celebrate that colonialism, okay. everybody. I know. I know. Um, my flatmate Paul had wasabi peanuts last week. Oh, they are good. Uh, they were. Yeah. Uh, I was I had one, and that was enough for me. That's the thing. You get snacks that you can't have too many of, and then they last longer too. It's wonderful. I can't see. I just can't do that. But no, genuinely, it's my sh- the way I do my shopping is just get a little bit of everything, and it lasts me months and months. So I. I if you recall, a long time ago, we spoke about um, me accidentally being ready for the apocalypse. We did, yeah, that was some time ago. I did my big shop. I'm still, I'm still eating all that stuff. I have not wow. shopped except uh, till today. And today wasn't. I didn't even need to. I was just like, I'm gonna get some stuff because I want to. I could, I could have kept on going. I just don't have that self control because. I am going through bags of mini eggs and discounted cream eggs and Malteser bunnies. Like, there's no tomorrow. Like, it's it's well, the trick, remarkable. The other trick. I'm going to give you all the snacking tricks here. Okay. Welcome to the snacking show um, <laughs> with me, a snack. Um, get, a, get a wee bowl or a cup and make it your snack bowl and or a cup. Okay. You know how much goes in there. No matter what snack you're eating, you never have more than that bowl full. So sometimes it's something super light and airy. It will be a small snack. Sometimes it's like chocolate and you won't even fill the bowl. That's actually a good idea. And you're never allowed to go back to the bag for more. If you break that rule, you're failing. That's I never even thought of that. Because what, what happens to me is I'll open my bag of mini eggs. I'll just continue to, to pick away at it because I know it's right there. And I'll just write, this is, my, this is my last one. This is my last one. No, no, this is the last one. It just never ends till I finish it. Yeah, the bag has to go away. I used to have to have the bags all the way down in the kitchen. And then I moved them into my office and I could still resist them. And now they are within arm's reach, but I can still resist them because the bowl method is strong. As, as we gradually move towards the start of the show proper there was one thing i did learn this week which was the difference between smoked and unsmoked bacon because i've always seen the two different types in the shop and had no idea what the difference was and would just buy them willy-nilly right apparently apparently smoked is way tastier yeah and so it's got flavor injected with the smoking process so i did not i didn't even realize because i'm clearly an idiot yeah have you ever had smoked cheese smoked cheese is an unusual one i like it but it took a while to get used to that. So that I mean, I'm just learning. This is this has been a whole month Wait, worth of learning. Two questions. First question, a bit simpler. Since you get the crisp flavor smoky bacon, do the same companies offer just regular bacon flavored <laughs> unsmoky bacon crisps? crisps? Unsmoky bacon? Maybe. I don't know. Worth investigating. Um, second question: If one of the bacon's was called bacon, and the other bacon was called smoked bacon, and you knew that smoking foods existed. How didn't you put the pieces together? <laughs> That's an excellent question. I guess I just, I thought they were, in the same way that you get like blue milk and green milk, which whilst they're different, yeah, they're kind of like interchangeable. <laughs> I figured the same was true for bacon. Well, it's kind of true for bacon. They're interchangeable, but 
you like, know blue is clearly tastier by the way semi skim milk you've, re- you've removed half the fat you can't just put that fat back in <laughs> similarly <laughs> smoked bacon you can't just take that smoke back out you know you've, right, you've altered it but I, i've so learned you- that and I, as i say it has been a, a long month but i have i've achieved some things I've learned. I've learned lots about yeah. audio processing and EQs and oh, good because I'm, I'm rubbish at all that stuff. Yeah, so so that's been fun, but like everything else has been horrible. So you know, yeah. pros and cons. Any of you milkists out there, if you actually do know how to put fat back into semi-skimmed milk, and I've just lied, okay. please do get in touch with the show. Right, Seesaw Parade episode. Two zero three. Welcome. Thank you all very, very much for listening. We very much appreciate it. My name's Colin, and he is still James. Yeah, still James. Yeah, sorry, I should have said he is James. Still James. As always, as opposed to still James. Still, James, still James. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for spending your next X amount of time, depending on how long I edit this down to, uh, listening to your new favourite podcast, Scotland's uh, longest-running podcast <laughs> with a season two of uh, currently three episodes. Sure, those things are all true. I butcher that intro more and more every week, but we're just going to power through and see where we end up. Yeah. Thank you to everybody who yeah. got in touch and has interacted over the last week. Uh, main point of discussion on Twitter has been the pronunciation of the name ML, which we will discuss later in the show, as well as the likes of UFO videos, Irfan Khan, Elon Musk, Donald Trump, and what we've been watching. But first of all, let's go with to the headlines of the week and lockdown. We have now surpassed week five of lockdown here in the UK ever since Boris Johnson announced it on March 23rd with the next review happening in six days time on May the 7th. 27,000 people in the UK have now died due to COVID-19. Global deaths have surpassed quarter of a million. More than three million people have been infected. Boris Johnson, who is a new father for probably the sixth time he doesn't actually know himself <laughs> no, like, potentially more potentially more probably more but officially has had uh, probably more you can't sheath the boris you don't <laughs> you put can't. that away uh yep he has announced that we are past the peak he has said and that the uk is still needing to meet the five criteria to exit lockdown spain meanwhile and linked to this spain have announced a four-stage plan to return to normal over the next two months. And there have been various discussions, articles online about how the UK is going to do this. Will it be, we open up everything and we've discussed this in the past and the answer is no. It's going to be a phased plan. Yeah, super slow. James, let me just start with the numbers. In comparison to similar sized countries and even larger countries, the likes of Germany, the UK's death tally is remarkably and astonishingly high in hindsight this is like putting the genie back in the bottle was the uk far too slow to act yeah well we kind of knew that all along the the uk did nothing we had weeks ahead of some of these countries who have managed to respond quicker than us so hopefully this comes down on the heads of the people who made those decisions so on that note then there has been some discussion over the last couple of days Keir starmer new labor leader He's new for like a what another few weeks, and then he just becomes Labour leader. New Labour leader Keir Starmer says he believes there will be an inquiry into everything that went on. Do you believe that that's a realistic suggestion? <laughs> no, like there will be an inquiry, but 
you know, all conclusions that the inquiry comes to are going to be hidden away um, because it's not in the public interest for them to be to be widely known, and there will be no actual uh, consequences based on those conclusions. So there will be an inquiry, it's just going to lead to nothing. Linked to all this and the the next stage of, of lockdown or unlockdown, un- unlocking down, unlocking lockdown is the introduction, <laughs> got there eventually, there we go. is going to be the introduction or the, the usage of some sort of face covering. Right, yeah. Now this has been introduced certainly by Nicola Sturgeon who mentioned earlier in the week that if you are in shops or if you're in close proximity to other people, public transport, you should be wearing a face covering. Yeah. Yeah. As in just some sort of material, you know, scarf. A fabric fabric of some sort. Some sort of fabric, yes. And this was based on a report and some analysis from this sage group who have been set up to look into all these all these things related to COVID-19. The Scottish government came out and said, you should be doing this. Whereas the UK government, with the same advice, said, nah, you shouldn't bother. James, who's right? Well, no one's right. Um, this is one of those instances where we're being told like medical grade face masks would be a huge help to society. Just an everyday fabric mask. Sh- sure, it will maybe kind of help you not cough on people real hard sometimes. Or if you're asymptomatic, it might help you not spread it quite as much. So it's a really niche case for fabric masks, just everyday masks. Okay. So Nicola pushing for us to use just any old mask. Yeah, it's a bit weak, kind of weak advice. People are tend to, when they think they've done enough to be safe, start being lazy. Yep. Uh, so we'll put the mask on and then we'll start being clumsy with what we're doing with our hands. And we'll start touching our faces and we'll start generally being a bit less careful. Um, masks that aren't super effective, like just fabric masks, risk um, increasing the spread of a virus, even if on an individual basis for someone who is asymptomatic or has light, uh, uh, like small symptoms but is still going out and about, it will stop them spreading the virus more. So okay. they needed to be far more specific in saying who should be using this um, and far more specific in saying, like, for everyday use, medical-grade masks are the goal. The problem is that we don't have access to those and we're not going to get given those. Um, and every single plan that is being made relies on us having them, but we don't have them. A, c- a couple more questions on this before we, we move on. The first one about lockdown. There has been some gentle signs that some sections of society are getting a little bit tired with lockdown and as you say are getting lazy yeah and are just kind of acting as if ah, things are fine things are going back to normal yeah a bit antsy greg's you may have seen earlier this week had announced that they were going to have a, a slight reopen and then they backtracked on that because they realized that there would be queues out the door yep, 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 yep. just all getting greg's sausage rolls mm-hmm And so they've decided to backtrack on that. But the likes of McDonald's and Burger King have said that they're going to trial a delivery service or a slight reopening across the country. Mm -hmm. Do you feel there has been a a relaxation in attitudes towards this? Because people are getting to breaking point, I would say, me being one of them. I've found the last couple of weeks really hard. Yeah, the fact that we're just getting told that people are out more based off their tracking data and like having more cars in the road is an indicator that People are just are just kind of getting a bit more lazy about this whole thing. Yeah, car car usage is up. Yeah, whether that is because they want to be going to work or because they want to be um, just going out and about, who knows? Um, but we are seeing people kind of coming to the end of 
uh, the patience they have with it, even though we're being told that we got to keep it up for at least another week and then we'll get told what to do afterwards. But seriously, some of us, especially those of us who can work from home, are potentially going to be asked to keep this up for a lot, lot longer. Yep. And the best advice out there is saying that um, your social life lockdown rule should follow your work lockdown rule. So those of us that can work from home might be told to stay at home all the time anyway, even if like everybody else is still allowed to have a social life because they're frontline workers or whatever. But is that workable though? People people won't do it. No. Well, exactly. So that's my point. People will want to get to the stage where the, the one idea I have seen, which I believe they were discussing in Belgium, was that people would start to have essentially a bubble of, say, five people that they could go and see yeah, but, like, or could have over to visit. Now I don't know how that would work. Yeah, but like who's going to track that? Yeah, exactly. Like none of the none of the ambitious plans to kind of have a semi lockdown are going to be workable socially, uh, and none of the ambitious plans to have a relaxed lockdown where we can all do whatever we want are going to be work are going to be workable um, like materially. So we do not have right. the materials required to make everybody safe. I mean, we need just, all just, sorts of tests and and masks and protection. Yeah. On that note before we discuss practically what we believe is going to happen. When it comes to the whole face coverings thing, this to me seems a little bit too little too late. We've we've known about coronavirus for the best part of two, three months at this point yeah, yeah, in the yeah. UK. Why, if this was such important advice, which is, from what it seems, has a minimal effect at best, why wasn't this said from day one? Yeah. As opposed to the week before this lockdown review is going to happen. And again, you're right, who knows what that unlocking of lockdown is going to look like. My second point on this is I believe that if you start to open up that social bubble, there will be a second spike. And well, let's say they just unlocked lockdown and everybody could do what they want. Of course, there'd be a second spike. Yeah. So how on earth you're meant to police some sort of, oh, you're allowed to visit a set amount of people because some people would just say, no, nah, screw it. I'm just going to do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. What about the actual, vul- the, you know, the actually vulnerable people? To me, this is where you get actual smart people in and not just me thinking out loud in a podcast because I have no idea what the solution is in terms of how do you do this practically whilst keeping everybody safe, whilst also letting people have some sort of sense of a return to normality because people need it. People are at a breaking point. And, you know, I speak for myself. Uh, I miss Graham. I miss Specs. I miss everybody. That's, That's the trouble is there is no happy middle ground here. It's all a confusing mess of difficult situations where you're either asking some percentage of a nation to stick with a lockdown while you're letting other, like what is now deemed essential enough work and people in those workforces to have a, just a full-fledged life, do whatever you want life because they're now allowed out and the rest of us aren't. There just isn't a happy ground between what people are able to do socially en masse because one person is smart, but uh, everybody's dumb altogether. And what is possible with the supplies we have. So, so the best case that I've seen was this um, chat about expanding testing. Yeah. And with expanded testing, expanding the workforce, but only with safety measures. So, so only jobs that can have social distancing and only jobs that uh, are necessary and all this stuff. But we don't, we don't have the capacity to do that. We don't have the tests. We don't have the space. We don't have the time. Nobody's going to do that stuff. So there, yep. whatever solution people are going to come up with is either going to be 
leading to higher peaks than are necessary in terms of reinfection rates or like second wave infection rates or are going to be asking people to be more patient that they can than they can be so so here's here's what my question is by the time we do CESOL parade 204 chances are the government will have reviewed this lockdown on may 7 yeah what do you expect the outcome to be if you're looking into our CESOL parade crystal balls because my prediction would be it's too early to lift anything that's what i'm saying i know it's basically i, I know the economy is clearly suffering enormously and um you know the world bank predicted that this was going to be the worst recession in you know 15 years or at least since the last uh, financial crash it's going to have a massive impact on the economy but i believe what's worse is that deaths just go through the roof which is what we're currently seeing in in care homes well yeah but also mass infections go through the roof and the economy gets wrecked anyway right if 80 percent of the nation gets infected the economy's gone but but then it's it's the balance of okay We've got to keep lockdown on for another, what, three weeks, then we're going to revisit it. Keep but it at that on. point, we're already seeing cracks starting to show. I mean, I'm as I say, I'm really struggling at some times, yeah. uh, at some points over the over the last yeah. couple of weeks. So it, you've got to give the people something. You've got to give the people more help. We certainly, in general, are not receiving enough help. There's loads of people that will be going to work that they shouldn't be going to purely because they've run out of money and they need to work. Yeah. They yeah. need help. And um, there's those of people that aren't, that don't have like a... Uh, good home environment that need to be able to go someplace to be either safe or to be sane and they're not getting any help so whatever the solution or whatever the next step is it, it requires more help for a whole lot of people um, but for sure um, considering how m- how many cases or active cases we still have there are far too many to start talking about actually easing a lockdown with any sort of um, major steps and we've, we've still got cases in the thousands where some countries have gone down to hundreds or tens and can start talking about easing lockdowns or some countries have zero and they're um, talking about easing lockdowns. We're still far away from that. So it's going to be hard news next week, I expect. Um, and since we have confirmed that the government listens to the podcast, because every time we talk about something, they enact it two days later. <laughs> That's true. They're going to they're gonna do that now because we've said it. Sorry, everybody. It's actually on us. Before we move on to what's happening stateside, can I just draw your attention to the story of the two Vietnamese children who donated 20,000 face masks to the UK yeah. who had saved up their lucky money yeah. over over a number of years. Over, yeah. And uh, basically, these, these two kids, they are, I, I, it doesn't list their ages, but uh, Trong Thi Linh Nan and Trong Khao Khoi, they have donated what clearly to them was a lot of cash saved up to help the little old Brits. The little, the little in, inept UK. The UK who can't take care of its own people. How about that? It's a, it's a heartwarming uh, story. It's one of those heartwarming stories that, that would have been super nice even if we had loads of PPE and masks and stuff. It would be like a little cherry on top. Like, wow, these kids are super generous. They found a country that is struggling more than the other ones uh, and they're giving us stuff. But in real life... 20,000 of anything. Super helpful for the UK right now. Kill surprise, Donald Trump is back in the headlines again following his disinfectant suggestion from last week, which he 
I'll start with this one. Said was a sarcastic comment. Hehe, <laughs> it was. It was just. I was just kidding that they should. That that that's really interesting. I didn't. I, I was joking when I said it was interesting several times. <laughs> and fo- following on from that, he then said he didn't know why the numbers of people buying disinfectants had gone up significantly following his comments. Yep. Who'd have thought that that would happen? You know, for someone with a very large, uh, you know, brain. Um, I'm surprised he hasn't put one and one together there. Donald Trump talks about disinfectant being real good at getting rid of viruses in the human body, uh, and then you know, disinfectant sales go up. Hmm. What, I wonder. I wonder why. What I what I'd like to to focus on now though is his his new pivot, which has been away from governors and away from disinfectant and towards China for now. And two areas in particular. The first one has been the fact that he's now essentially turned his his all guns blazing to this conspiracy theory that COVID-19 was designed in a Wuhan lab, which either intentionally or unintentionally got out. And despite the fact that his own intelligence agencies have said that this didn't happen, or this, the evidence would say that this was yeah. essentially a, just an accident that happened in the world, he has come out and said, actually, no, I believe there is. This, this could be the source of this entire there thing. Credible evidence. He has seen credible evidence that would make him believe this, for sure. There we go. I'm glad that one of us is organised and has the quotes to hand, James. Thank you. That was a paraphrase at best. <laughs> Linked to that is the fact that the Trump administration is now formulating a long-term plan to punish China on multiple yep. fronts for the <laughs> pandemic. More tariffs. Give them more tariffs, which only exclusively affect your own local businesses and shut down the little boys. It will punish China for sure this time. It's just another rancorous element (laughs) in the long and storied relationship between America and China, which is already on a sharp decline. It started off in in a bad place in 2016, 2017, seemed to improve. And has now gone back downhill again. James, what do you make of this? Well, first of all, let's go with Trump believing that this has come from a lab. Right, yeah, the lab conspiracy. Uh, it, it's just Trump trying to point fingers at things. Um, the more important part for him, rather than actually... He was just suggesting it's credible, right? The more important part thing that he's doing is trying to undermine the World Health, Health Organization again um, by suggesting that they're just being China's... Um, PR yeah, yeah. and are hiding the fact that, that this was a deliberate move by China um, and it, it, it's still just sad to hear because America was giving the most um, to help keep the World Health Organization going um, but Trump didn't appoint the people to the committee that he could have so he's complaining about China having too much power over the WHO um, well Try appointing your own people there and maybe, you know, you'll have a bit more of a say as to how things go. But they didn't. And now they're just trying to undermine uh, and pretend that it wasn't their own fault. So it's just Trump once again trying to deflect all blame. And even when he does that, it turns out that he's a f- he's to blame for those things too. Th- this is also... So he's going to have to go meta with this one. He's got, he's got to find a reason that it's even more somebody else's fault. Coronavirus has now killed more than 60,000 Americans. And the belief is that this attack on China is this almost an election campaign strategy yeah. to blame Beijing to distract from his own errors, as you have yeah. so rightly said. And, and it generally works with his base and the people who are open to his message. 
It generally will work. Well, well that's that's the thing. Yeah, it will. For, for people who already support Trump, yes, it, it will. And this is where we see this partisan divide, particularly in the States, between people who either are, across the world, people who are either for Trump or against him. It's it's one of the two. You can neither be on, you can't be on the fence when it comes to the president of the free world. You have an opinion on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to, yeah, I, for example, people in, in, in our country who I'm sure there are Boris Johnson supporters out there. There are people who don't like him, but then I can think of people, particularly my parents, who would probably say, yeah, he seems okay. As opposed to this total partisan uh, view when it comes to Trump. And I believe this sort yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, Trump being more might and whatnot. Yeah, this sort of posturing of this is China's fault, blame China, we're going to sanction China, we're going to ramp up our tariffs and we're going to do this and do that. That's going to be viewed as one of two things. There's no middle ground there. Yeah, when the truth is that the real reason anybody, and especially Trump and his monopoly buddies, want to... And put tariffs on China is to destroy small businesses in the US so that his monopoly friends can get more of a monopoly. Okay. That's that's why they do it. Before we talk about Elon Musk, we're talking, you mentioned business there. Obviously, the uh, November presidential election is still somewhat up in the air with the coronavirus. Oh, man. Oh, it's getting, it's getting hard to listen to the media over this one. Joe Biden was in the news this morning, James. You may have seen this. He had to deny a allegation of sexual assault from 33 years ago. The claims of Biden's assault that he allegedly did on his one of his staffers way back when are getting more and more credible as time goes on. Yeah. Um, they are credible from the get-go, um, but now we've got friends and neighbours coming out to say, yeah, she spoke to us about this back in the day. And you got to wonder and start asking yourself, how many like secondary witnesses, like people who are saying that they heard the witness tell them this, need to come out and say that they did before the major media starts asking questions, serious questions about it? Because they've covered this for maybe like a few minutes over the last month. We've probably talked about it for longer, um, mostly in the context of can you still vote for him? Because, you know, it's Biden. Of course, he did something creepy. And it's just so horrible to see them ignore this because it's inconvenient for them this time, especially the the center media. So Fox News are probably all over it. I don't even watch them. The right-wing media, I'm sure, is talking about it because they want um, revenge for what happened to Kavanaugh when he was getting his big trial. Yeah, yeah. Um, which also, of course, was credible. And this time around, the the chiefs of like the Me Too movement that were within the center media of America, all these liberals that f- formerly were all about believe women and were all about follow the evidence are now being s- absolutely silent when it comes to this specific accusation because it is inconvenient for them when they should still be saying, yes, you got to follow this up. You got to make sure that uh, justice is done here, whether or not... Um, you want to believe it's true or not, you have to make sure that it goes through the process. But they're not. They're just ignoring it because it's inconvenient for them and their rich friends. So I'm sad because nobody's got a backbone. Moving on to Elon Musk. Sorry, I'll... Yeah, I'll... speaking of nobody with a backbone. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, this is the... <laughs> Don't tell him his submarines are useless. Founder and, yeah, he might call you a pedophile. This is the founder <laughs> and... Uh, Creator of Tesla, I want to say. He probably bought the idea from somebody else with his lots of money. He's South African and he's having something of a meltdown. Um, actually, he's South African, Canadian, and Amer- and United States of America. Is he? Please. Yeah, he's, he's got three nationalities now. 
Does he actually, or you? The U.S. is his most recent. Okay. He was born South Africa. He's had been a na- he's had that nationality, and he still does to this day. And then at some point he moved to Canada, and I think it was. I'm going to guess in the 90s he became a Canadian Okay, well, uh, anyway, resident. the tech celeb who has 34 million followers on Twitter has been having something of and a... And at least that many dollars. Yes, having something of a meltdown on social media. Yeah. He has been retweeting and replying to essentially totally false conspiracy theories related to COVID-19, has been uh, mm-hmm. in the last few weeks attempting to keep his many factories open mm-hmm. and uh, warehouses open, despite the fact that states were closing them down uh, all over the country. Mm-hmm. has been a vocal critic of the way that the uh, US is treating the entire disease and essentially now has begun tweeting in some sort of, some sort of spiral. In the last few hours, he has tweeted in caps lock, now give people back their freedom. He also tweeted, I am selling almost all physical possessions, will own no house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just one stipulation on sale, I own Gene Wilder's old house. He's also in all caps tweeted the last few lines of the American National Anthem. Yeah. Um, so he's representing one third of his... <laughs> let, let me just ask James because Elon Musk is, is somebody we've we've talked about on the show before usually yeah. because of bad PR and the fact that he's sometimes he, his money enables other people to do good things and, and sometimes he sends a, a car to space on a rocket playing David Bowie yeah yeah yeah. There are there are many reasons why he has been on the show before but this one seems to be Further than he's gone before. I mean, you can tweet at somebody in a rage mood calling them a pedophile because they didn't like your idea. <laughs> I mean, but this... he did hire private investigation investigators to try and prove that the guy was a pedophile yeah. too. So that's that's maybe a bit worse. Than no, this. but this but this to me seems like <laughs> this is embarrassing. Right. So what's what if you put yourself in the mind of a multi billionaire? What's yeah. he even thinking at this point? He's not. He's he doesn't sleep. He is constantly on uppers. He just isn't thinking, and he's watching the potential for his stocks to hit a milestone that would give him even more money or to sink entirely and he's going to lose all that money. Um, so the way that I don't, I'm no stock market expert as much as I must sound like it whenever we talk about the markets here in this oh, yeah. podcast. No, I know nothing about it. The way that it works is if the Tesla share value gets up to a certain amount um, or the total amount out there gets up to an amount Elon himself will be allowed to buy even more and increase his share by however much, and that will increase his net net worth by a billion or whatever. Um, he's he, he was pretty close to that before this all kicked off, and as it's all kicked off, he's still getting closer because you know the business didn't shut didn't doesn't shut down in one month. Um, but now we've reached this point where potentially businesses are actually going to be shutting down, and Elon's going to see that stock that stock um, price go down a bit, and that makes him sad. So he's trying to take advantage of the liberate whatever movement, the liberate state movement. Oh, yeah. And he's trying to take advantage of those people um, to add his own very loud voice um, to the cry to free America now. But it's purely because he's a rich person and he wants more money. It's not for any good reason. And people caught on to it straight away. So now he's doubling down to try and pretend that he's just going a bit insane or whatever, or he's doubling down to pretend it was all a joke or whatever. Um but he's just shown his, his true colors again. He is an egotist uh, billionaire, just like the majority of them are. Don't call me a pedo. <laughs> I know he's listening. We tweet, if we tweet it at him, he will listen. Yeah. Hello, Elon. If you want to appear in the podcast, we won't make you smoke weed and lose stock prices. Please, please come on. We can try and talk you into some sanity. Um, we're, we're very level-headed people. I will at him. I will at him. And we'll see how that goes. 
Moving on to some other news this week, and the US Department of Defense have released three videos which are now declassified, Yay. showing unexplained aerial phenomena. Yeah. I'm going to throw out there that they were all leaked last year. The Pentagon said uh, it wanted to clear up any misconceptions by the public on whether or not the footage that has been circulating was real. And as you uh, have said, James, these videos were actually leaked last year. I'm pretty sure we talked about it, but I'd like to talk about it again. Yeah, yeah, because they're official now. They've been recognised. <laughs> yes, indeed. They have now been officially recognised. If you're yet to see these videos, I would highly recommend you do so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because my des- my description it will not do it justice. The first video shows some sort of object in the sky, very high in the sky, <laughs> uh, which a, a jet of some sort is is alongside. The object is rotating. Yeah, it is bizarre. And then the second video, which is a very high speed thing. Yeah, the high speed one. Yeah, flying across the water at some ridiculous speed. It was some impressive camera tracking. Me, oh, I, absolutely. May I, add. I want to know about this tech that can pinpoint something if you just point it at the right angle and press a button. Like I was impressed by that grab. Very, very cool. And that's the second one. The second thing of just something moving in a totally uh, straight line at high speed. It's. It, it is bizarre. Confusing the, the people on board, whatever whatever craft yeah. is taking this image. Now, these three videos came from, from three different years. The first one, I believe, was 2005, uh, and the other ones have come in 2014 and 2012. James, before we discuss perhaps the reasons why these videos were suddenly declassified now, as opposed to when they were released a year ago, to me, I am, I am truly bamboozled because I have no rational explanation for what any of these things are. It is. Right. It does blow my mind. I got it for you. Here we go. Okay. I didn't really think about this until just now. I reckon that this is what countries do to test each other's um, defense capabilities. Genuinely, off the top of my head. Okay. If I was, if I was a country, let's say the United States or Russia or China or even piddly little the UK, I'd be investing a couple of couple hundred million into developing some freaky looking flying thing that can go real fast just to like fly it over my neighbors and see how they respond you know see if they can track it see if they can spot it and you got to make it weird so they they don't they can't identify it and therefore it becomes an alien craft that's a that's a good theory i I mean it's it's the closest one i can see as being realistic for example the only other thing and I, i know it's it does sound a bit mad but that second video of the low-flying objects flying in a straight line at a ridiculously high speed does seem awful, an awful lot to me like a drone. Just a very high-tech version of a drone. It, it could just be a big drone. Someone someone very creative has made a big drone. But Yeah, but like what? Flying over the sea at however many hundred miles That's an hour? That's the issue. Is it seemed to be a super remote area far away from actual being able to be controlled. So Exactly. And the first video of that thing rotating is, is mental. Yeah. I... And there, there is no rational explanation for that, other than there is some incredible technology going on right now that we're completely unaware of, or well, there always is, it's yeah. something from space. Who knows? Anyway, yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would, I would prefer it to be from space. That seems more fun. I mean, so would I. But if, if any countries out there have been like messing with their neighbors and they want to let us know with a pseudonym, so you can be like Pasha, <laughs> or you can be like Dinah, and nobody's going to know who you are, Raina. You can be the United States of Sad America. No one's going to have a clue. 
just let us know. Tell us your pseudonym. <laughs> let us know. Yeah, I did one of those. It was real funny. Uh, uh, we want to. We will just air it. Yep. On the podcast, but we won't tell anyone what real country you are. Okay, on to the, the second question and potentially the more pertinent one. James, why now? This seems an awfully strange time for the Pentagon to suddenly be declassifying and publicizing these videos from, yeah. what, over a decade ago? Well, I'm reckoning the Pentagon being a big monolith of a bureaucracy. Oh. Oh, oh, I learned that one from the news. Mono, monolith of bureaucracy. Hmm, I, I've watched the news twice. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, it's just super slow. So when the when the videos got leaked last year, they sent out a memo to whatever the UFO team is. Like, dear UFO team, yep. uh, we better declassify these ASAP. And that just took a year. <laughs> we got to do this super soon. But then they had to get like a thousand different people on all different teams and levels to sign it. The, the yeah. thing is, you're you're so right. I mean, I was told a week ago that I might have a a twenty second voiceover on the way from STV. Yeah, that's cool, right? Mm-hmm. Twenty second voiceover. The last five days, I've been waiting on it getting signed off and getting signed off and compliant, and the client being happy. Yeah. I still don't, I still yeah. don't have the script. This is uh, a twenty yeah. second a twenty second voiceover. So I can imagine, yeah, yeah. when it comes to three potentially uh, <laughs> classified videos. <laughs> gonna take a little bit longer and like and like an organization dedicated to like defending an entire nation you know i think i take two weeks to do something sometimes yeah. and i'm no monolith <laughs> i'm more of a pebble okay let's let's move on i i do think the yeah bureaucracy is one part of it but also like timing i i do think the the timing of this is very odd it's just they're all working from home and they're running out of ideas of what they can actually do and they're like hey why don't we just declassify some vids for fun <laughs> they're on a zoom meeting with their funny backgrounds okay right let's move on uh <laughs> Moving on to, to something else slightly more lighthearted. It was Ed Balls Day, which James, you alerted me to on April 28th, 2011. Ed Balls, uh, former politician, tweeted the words Ed Balls from his Ed Balls account. And now every single April 28th, <laughs> it becomes Ed Balls Day and everybody tweets Ed Balls. Yeah. It was a great moment. You got to do it. This has to become a national holiday. <laughs> What's your favorite thing about Ed Balls, James? Or Ed Balls Day, even? I mean, you just got to remember the original tweet. Like one tweet swept across the world before a tweet sweeping across the world was like really, really common. Oh yeah, Ed Balls just swept the nation. Um, it's also the fact that it's going to be its its tenth anniversary next it's, year, which is it's terrifying. Getting so old, <laughs> and I still feel like I'm in on the joke. Right, this is one of those special jokes that hasn't gotten old yet and gotten tired yet because every time Ed Balls Day comes around, oh, yeah. and you get a tweet Ed Balls. I still feel like I'm ahead of the curve, even though I'm not. <laughs> even though this is not funny anymore. It still feels like it is, and it's just joyful. Okay, before we move on to what we've been watching this week, one final piece. Do you think Ed piece. Balls puts on an Ed Balls mask on Ed Balls Day and has like a Ed Balls hat and an Ed Balls t-shirt? I imagine... Like Ed Balls leggings. Maybe not, maybe not the leggings or the mask, but I'm sure he will have some sort of commemorative t-shirt or a mug. Yes. I'm going to send him a full outfit. <laughs> Once I'm rich... I'm going to buy myself a full Ed Balls oh, outfit. Oh, I would pay to see that. celebrate the day as it was meant to be. Okay. Well, in classic Cecil Parade fashion, we're going to take a sharp left-hand turn here and move on to the one other major piece of non-coronavirus news, which was Uh-oh. the sad death of uh, Bollywood actor Irfan Khan, yeah. who was 
more familiar to, I believe, Western audiences for his roles in the likes of Slumdog Millionaire, in Jurassic World, yeah, yeah. and in Life of Pi. So he was 53 years old. Uh, one of India's most well-known, most talented actors yeah. uh, was so highly respected that Wes Anderson once wrote him apart just so he could be in his film, just so he could work with mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, James, he's, he's one of these guys who... I believe most people would recognize without knowing his name, but in definitely in the films that I've seen him, even in something like Jurassic World, which is a throwaway blockbuster flick, he just brings he brought that extra level of nuance to his performance. I really liked I really liked him, and in, in even something like Jurassic World, when he was playing this essentially Elon Musk character. Yeah, flying his own helicopter into the resort and eventually, I think, meeting a grizzly end via T Rex. Probably, but he was he was brilliant. No, he generally he generally just brought a, a just a just a hint of eccentric yes eccentricity 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 eccentricity. eccentricity. Yeah, so you go for that. I can't say it. You say it for me next time. Eccentricity. <laughs> um, and, and it wasn't like too much. It wasn't like a, a, a cheesy amount. But it also wasn't so little that you don't notice it. So even when he was playing a bland role, just like some of the ways he would deliver a line or some of the ways he would just make a motion would just add a touch of realism to a character. And he generally did play similar characters in all the films he was in. Just gonna, I, don't, I, I don't think he, in my, in my experience of his works in like Western media, he played anything too dramatically different from the norm. Um, but maybe he's got a whole bunch of Bollywood performances that I need to go and enjoy. Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of them. There's ones like The Lunchbox, which is very popular. He just released uh, another movie that he was in was released just last month called Angrezi Medium. And he has essentially paved the way for another generation of of young up-and-coming Indian actors and actresses. Danny Boyle, actually, just in this article here, said that he credited Irfan Khan and his his performance and his role in Slub Dog Millionaire for getting it to the Oscars and for winning the yeah, best yeah, yeah. picture of the Oscars. And it was no, actually good. one of these ones that it only took me, or rather it took me until reading these posthumous obituaries about his his career and his, his life that I actually went back to Slumdog Millionaire to see the scenes that he was in. And then, of course, it all falls into place and I realise who he is. Because yeah. I reckon when Slumdog Millionaire came out, I just clearly did not have the uh, knowledge of the movie industry and the players and those involved yeah, yeah, at yeah. the time but it's only when you look back you realize that's Irfan Khan he was yeah he was fantastic some dog was one of those films where there were like two tiers of actors some of the actors were nailing it and some of the actors were doing their job like not bad they were just doing their job uh, and you know when you go back and you see that he's one of the ones that was just absolutely nailing it, it's like yeah of course he was um so no I'm, I'm gonna see if I can go find some Bollywood to enjoy because all the Hollywoods are great except Hollywood From Bollywood to Hollywood to what we've been watching over the last week. And James, we actually have things to discuss for once. Oh man, it's been a week. It has, it has. James, you've got two on the list there, I've got two on the list. I'm going to ask you to go first with Better Call Saul. Now, is this the new season? Have you finished the new season? This is, yeah, I've caught up to present day actual being released show. Excellent. Um, And it keeps on being better than I ever thought it could have been. When I... First started watching Better Call Saul, however many years ago that was. I was kind of reluctant to. Yeah. Um, Saul Goodman as a character wasn't particularly interesting. He was very important to the show. Uh, very well done. But I can't say I was gr- um, 
really super excited to see yeah. his um, his background. Uh, but every season just keeps delivering more and more of what I didn't think I needed, but now I realize I really did need all along. <laughs> um, and you can see the the cards that they're stacking up um, and you can see the plans that they're working into the story and you're hoping that things don't work out the way they need to to get you to the point that the characters are in when they kick off in Breaking Bad, but you know they are going to because that's how prequels work. Um and it's just getting me anxious now. And I I, 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 I I regret watching it. I regret watching it before it was finished because I'm going to have to stay in that anxious place until next season again. Yeah, which which is coming out next year. Yeah, it's James, a bit away. I will have asked you this before, but I would like reminding. Knowing that this is a prequel, knowing that the character of Saul Goodman is still alive and well in Breaking Bad and the other supporting actors, Mike Ehrmantraut and Gustavo Fring, are all still alive in Breaking Bad... How does that tie in? How does that make you feel any sort of level of dramatic tension, knowing that they're all going to be fine? Right. So one of the most recent episodes I was watching, some of the characters were in a pretty sticky situation. Okay. Um, but you, the, the ones that were, you know, aren't going to die because you know they're in the next show. Yeah. Um. So I, I'm not going to assume that everybody that's watching us has seen Breaking Bad. So maybe for them, they're really enjoying this this high tension episodes okay where like big things are happening but for me it was more of just uh enjoying how they unravel the story a kind of a situation okay similar to feel similar feelings to when you're like re-watching a film you really like you don't enjoy it any less um you just are appreciating new things about it so in this one you, yeah when you know what people are gonna become you get to appreciate the hints that you see of them becoming those characters. So when you see something happen, you're like, oh, that's what happened to make this future character trait exist. It's really cool. Um, but you also still get to feel that tension. I don't believe that knowing a twist or knowing a character is going to die at this moment completely removes the tension. I can rewatch films and still yeah. feel like almost as much tension for characters because I'll still want the different outcome to happen. Even though I know they're going to die, I'm still in my heart going. Yeah, like, fair enough. Maybe this is the director's cut that I'm playing this time, and they had a different alternate alternate ending. Maybe, maybe you dreamed up the the first time you watched it. Yeah, maybe I maybe I forgot how the story went, and this is they're actually all going to end up okay. But I am super excited for the next season, and it's one it's one of those shows that is just really beautifully shot, really well thought out, um, and you get to watch the characters have such intelligent dialogue and such intelligent conversation, um, but still be super grounded in lots of ways. I like what they're doing. Nice. I'm not sure what I'd give it on a review scale, but definitely I recommend it. Well, it's it's on my to-watch list. I will get to it eventually, but I'll, I see you're finishing a season of a show, and I also will trade you a watching You'll the call. end of a season of a show. Uh, yes, indeed, I will call. I have finished season two of Succession, which takes me up to date with Succession. They are currently, or they were, filming season three, uh, which is due to be on the way uh, probably next year. Now, this show was in the headlines, as I may have mentioned a couple of weeks ago, because Brian Cox won a Golden Globe for his performance in this show, and my goodness, does he deserve it. In fact, most of the cast do. Kieran Culkin was also nominated for a Golden Globe for his role in this show, but you could cast, you could give nominations to Sarah Snook and to Jeremy Strong and to everybody else who's in the show because it is a phenomenal piece of work. Again, it, it builds on what was so good about season one, this essentially very rich family who all have various issues with each other and with themselves. And with season two, it 
just ups the stakes. Now, there's one thing I'd say about the finale of this show succession. And I'll start by saying I really, really enjoyed the show. What the finale did was I could see where it was going to go. I knew exactly what the cliffhanger was going to be right. that teed up season three. Okay. And it happened and, I was, and, it was, and it was great. So it wasn't like one of these shows where you know where they're going to go and they do it and you think, oh, it's so played out. That's so lame. That's, I, I saw yeah, that coming a oh mile off. I thought they'd be smarter than me. Yeah. Like I, I did see this coming. But when they did it, it was actually great. It was very satisfying. Yeah, I, I'm unsure what show I would com- I would compare that to, but it it had that almost a choreographed cliffhanger. I know that some people who watch the show will not have seen it coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's great. But for me, it was they had been building this particular um, divide between Brian Cox and Jeremy Strong throughout the season. So when it came to the finale, I knew what we, I knew what this cliffhanger was going to be. Uh, yeah. But it did not make the show any less satisfying. That's, it what, was, that's what clever writing does. Though. Sorry, do you know what it is? It's actually exactly what you've just said. If you go back and watch your favourite film, you know how it ends, but you still really enjoy it. Yeah. It's very similar to that in that I knew what this was going to be, but when it happened, I still thought it was brilliant. And the writing in this, the acting is phenomenal. It's funny. It's a really funny show. And it's... Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to yeah. season three. So that's just clever writing and how it works. So things that are written cleverly allow different levels of audience attention to find a thing enjoyable. So you can watch it casually and enjoy it, or you can watch it with intent and figure things out as it's going along and still enjoy it, or you can re-watch it and be refiguring things out and seeing more things and enjoy it, uh, which is what sets aside these shows and films that are like this compared to let's say Marvel films or Star Wars films where lately it's just written in such a way that, or even the most recent seasons of Game of Thrones, which were written and have been said to have been written in such a way that anybody's going to enjoy this um, and we want everybody to enjoy all of it. So they don't hide anything. They don't make any of those intelligent like hurdles that you can leap over to try and come to a, a greater understanding of the show. They just make it super basic, super level, and it's an entertainment but it's not intelligent. Well, James, I realize we're, we're cracking on, so let me just give you a very brief review of the second thing I watched because it is actually the second time I've watched it. It was the movie The Ides of March, which came out in 2011. Oh, right, yeah. Rewatched it. This stars George Clooney and Ryan Gosling yeah, in awesome. the two main roles, as well as a very young Evan Rachel Wood, who you would better know from Westworld. Yes. It tells the story of a, a governor who's running for president who does something uh, rather inappropriate with said intern played by Evan Rachel Wood, and that threatens to get out, and it's a game of uh, Machiavellian motives and backstabbing and doing this and doing that. It also has Paul Giamatti, who is tremendous, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, who I forgot was in this movie, yeah. who is tremendous. Now, re-watching it, I remember watching it at the time and thinking it was okay. Right. Watched it now, I think it's good. <laughs> but what I can see now is that it is clearly taken from the stage it's taken from theater it, and then looking into it it is actually based on a play oh no yeah it's a play yeah and then watching it unfold in the in the film you can see that it's a play and you can see that these characters who are for the most part thinly sketched thumbnails of people mm-hmm. other than perhaps ryan gosling 
but it's it's more about it's more about the script. It's more about the performances as opposed to any sort of deep backstory or, yeah. or this or that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and all of them do really really well. It's a you know it's a good little film. It's only ninety minutes long, and yeah, if you want to see Ryan Gosling give another great performance, then watch Sides no. of March. Yeah, no, I, I saw that when it came out originally. I don't remember too much of the details, but I do remember I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was good. Okay, James, finish us off. What have you also been watching I last week? I finished an anime. He said excitedly. Incredible. What was it this, this week? This one is called Demon Hunter. I think it is. Um, <laughs> Post-edit note, this show is actually called Demon Slayer. It's a very, very much present-day, hyped-up, super big fan base anime. This is this is one of those that's got major major um, appeal to a huge audience, and therefore it's pretty good. Wow! Uh, I don't think it did anything clever or revolutionary. I don't think it did anything uh, astounding. The character designs are pretty good. One of the one of them in particular is clearly character design ahead of character writing. Um, this is the sister character. Um, the story is very much exactly what you'd expect. Uh, it's a guy learning how to hunt demons and he gets better and better at it as the show goes on um uh, the sound design is excellent the art styles are mostly excellent sometimes it gets a little too swoopy panny with the 3d scenes and sometimes that gets a bit sickly um there are some art decisions that they made that i really really like they've got some very water and fire and other like element based um animation that's pretty nice looking uh Overall, recommend the show. I don't quite get the hype, though. Okay. But well, because I don't get the hype, of course it's got hype. That's I've, that's what I've learned. I don't have to... I can think something's like pretty good, and therefore it's probably going to be amazing for, for just your casual audience. If you have, you, dear viewer, been listening to or watching or finishing off any sort of book or movie or TV show, then of course you can get in touch with Seesaw Parade at Seesaw Parade on Twitter, on Facebook, and via email. Yes. Seesaw Parade at gmail.com. Now, I did mention at the start of the show, we were going to discuss one further uh, piece of noteworthy social media news. Correspondence. This is about how you pronounce the the letters M and L. Uh But when you say them close together, it apparently sounds like I'm saying a French name, ML. Which, which, now that I've said out loud, I can see what, what Shanana was uh, was saying. ML. Thank you very much to the likes of Shanana, Janice, Izzy, and ML, who all got in touch uh, about For, this. Yeah, for getting involved in a, in a huge big conversation about somebody's name that we've said in the show. And I've never second-guessed saying a name as much as I did after that, even though it wasn't directed at me. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I guess what needs to happen is I just need to go more slowly when I say ML. <laughs> Have a breath between ML. Yeah, so thank you to ML who got, got in touch. No, I, I, If anybody I, else needs us to take a breath in the middle of their name, please let us know. I apologize for, for rushing through her name, but this is just how I've always said it. I know, once, you, ML. once you've had an ML in your life for you know a few years at least, uh, you get used to the name... And you get lazy with a name and you just you, you combine those two sounds into one sound. Mel. Do you know when you're you're being young and edgy and trying to find your identity? Yeah. I know that for a while I would write ML's name as E M E L. I remember that. On like on like cards and things, we'd be like, Dear M L E M E L. I remember that. I, I remember to, seeing to the I remember that seeing the name written like that. My little brother's uh 
email address and the nickname he used for a long time also came from that because I told him to write CJ as C-J-A-Y. Ah. So his email address is CJ99 or CJ96 or 93. Oh. And it, all these things came from me trying to be cool and spell people's phonetic names out. So ML, sorry, ML, <laughs> thank you very much. And thank you to everybody who got in touch. You can do so. Please do. Uh, we would like to hear Absolutely. from you. James, any final words before we end? Stay indoors, kids and also adults. Absolutely. Okay, James, thank you very much. I'll chat to you next week. Yeah, see you then. Well, speak to you then. Goodbye, audience. <laughs> goodbye, Elon. Yeah. I know he actually did listen. So that's why you're saying I'm so saying goodbye. I'm not bringing back that old habit. I'm just actually acknowledging that you listened because we added you. Hope he does. <laughs>